appreciate you all leading us tonight, being able to sing praises to our Lord. And I have realized this, because um, I, I hear different people at times say different things, that they, uh, they, don't like, uh, they don't like some of the music. And I'm like going, I always want to know the content more than anything else. Because if it's about Jesus, I don't care what it comes in. It lifts him up. I think sometimes we get caught up on the wrong things, although I love bluegrass, and I'm glad you all did that. But I'm going to tell you right now, sometimes we need to be reminded of what the content is, not just what the flowery things are around it. Because it's Jesus that changes things. It's Jesus that changes life. It's Jesus, it's his life that changes people. And so as we go tonight and we talk about this, as Josh was sharing with me, your pastor, uh, was, was talking about this revival, uh, talking about legacy. And you know, I want to think about this right now, uh, that the reason why this church uh, exists is because there were people that were faithful to be able to plant this into existence because this church hasn't always existed, right? There were faithful people in that moment that had read through the scriptures and read through the gospel to understand that there needed to be people in this area that heard the message of Jesus Christ. It's a legacy of people that have gone on long before us that have planted into this place. I am one of those people that heard the gospel here. I am one of those people that my life was changed because someone chose in this moment... And I don't even know when the church was planted. That's how sad I don't know these things and how old the church is. But I will say this. I am one of those people that's a benefactor. My life was changed because of that. I ask the question as we think about legacy and as we think about this, um, what are those things that we take for granted that's been planted into our lives by people? Families. You know, legacy, we think of it this way. We think of legacy, it could be the idea of money or property. Someone's going to leave a legacy, right? They're going to leave a legacy of money or property and that's going to be given. What's it used for? But there's other things of legacy that we think about of this. I know that because of people in my family, even members that I never met, I've gotten tickled about this when I found out. I found out some ancestors uh, were very at Christ. I got to pick that up. I found out that my grandfather, which I did not know this because I didn't get to share with him on my dad's side, I found out that he was a person He went to a church, eastern Kentucky. He was in a church that way. And I remember as he was there at that point in time that he was a part of this church and he felt it was very important that people knew the Bible. And so he had started a Bible study. There's a couple of people that came to him and said, what are you doing? He's like, well, we're, we're just studying the Bible. And they're like, well, you don't get to do that. And he's like, okay. Um, I guess I'm finding another church. Because I believe that the Bible needs to be taught. I believe these things need to happen. I believe people need to come to a relationship with Christ. It's not held by the pastor. It's not held by leadership. It's God wants to engage with people. I, I probably get a little bit of uh, his uh, honoriness. And I will thank him for that when I see him in heaven. I want us to think about this. What is it that... We know that Jesus is alive. I don't know if you know that, but he is. And if you don't know him, that that's what you would know tonight, that you would know Jesus. But we know that Jesus is alive. But as he came upon this earth and died and rose again and ascended into heaven, but I'll ask the question in thinking about this, 
what's the legacy that Jesus has left us? We know he's alive, and we usually think of legacy of those that have passed on, but what has Jesus left us right now? Because if you think about it, what did Jesus leave? He left no children. He left no wife. He left no property. He left no wealth. In fact, we know that because he paid his taxes from a fish's mouth. So he didn't have anything. But what is it that he has given us? We understand that he is the word, but we have our understanding that he is the word, but in flesh, before the world began, he is the word. The word, the church. Do you understand that Jesus loves the church? I think sometimes we forget how much that he loves his bride because we tend to complain about it in this world a little bit too much as a whole. Do you think I'm right or wrong about that? Jesus loves his bride. He loves his bride. I listen to people now that tell me and they're like going, oh, I love God, but I just don't go to church. And this is what I have to tell them. I'm like going, I, I'm not telling you that that um, I'm telling you, you can't have that form of Christianity. I'm sorry, because Jesus doesn't allow it. He loves his church. He wants us to be a part of the church. He wants us uh, to be in fellowship with a bunch of hypocrites. I'm one of them, but I'm trying to not be that as Jesus continues to change my life. Amen? By the way, have you run into an organization yet that doesn't have hypocrites? I've never played golf in my life, but I've realized people that play golf can be major hypocrites. They expect this game of perfection, but yet they'll kick the ball sometimes and do things like that. I'm like, that's not how you play the game. Like, I don't know where there's not hypocrites and where they don't exist. Are you kidding me? You know, brother, you know me. You know me. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you right now, I'm just going to pick it up. I watch the whole nervousness, that's what's going on, right? It's just like going, Lord, we're pregnant. Please don't let him hit it right now. That's what we're doing. We're starting revival right now, right there in that prayer. I feel it, so. Yeah, no, I pray, no. <laughs> but I'm going to share with you, church. God gives us his word. He gives us the church. And he gives us the idea of grace and love for sinners it's a legacy that's been passed down to us about how we are called to interact in this world. I want you to go with me tonight to Luke 15, verse 11. And here we have, again, a very familiar passage. One that if you've grown up in church, you've heard it over and over and over again. But I want us to go through it tonight and to think about what it is as we have this parable... And as we think about this, I'm glad you brought your Bibles tonight. I'm glad you have them. And so let's read in Luke 15, verse 11. And this is Jesus telling this. And he said there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. 
Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. There squandered his property in reckless living. Now again, this is a parable. This isn't a real story of real, or, or of real people, but it is a real story of a parable that's going on. And as Jesus is telling this parable, he's saying that here we have two sons. And the first son comes and he begins to ask his father for the inheritance. Now in a custom, if I understand this the best that I can in Jewish culture, you could ask this, but it's still kind of like, it's a little highly like uncomfortable. Like you, you just... You just really wouldn't do that in all circumstances. You could, but there's some questions in this moment of why. Why are you asking for it now? Here we have dad that's not passed away. He asked for the heritage. He asked for this right now before his father has passed. And when he takes it, he invests it into a temple so that people could come to know the Lord. He takes it and he opens an orphanage all around so that people would come, right? That's what he does with this. We don't know enough about the dad in the story at this moment of the parable. We just know that the son takes it and he takes it all for him and he squanders it. He squandered his property in reckless living. So here we have a Jew who's taken this, that first of all, again, you could do it, but it's highly, uh, it's, it's not a good idea to be taking this, so he takes the money, and then he goes into a far land, which technically, honestly, they weren't supposed to do. Everything had been promised to them in the covenant of where they're going to find in the prosperity of living in Israel. Everything was promised to them. In fact, the early part of the covenant that God had made with them was this. There, wouldn't be, there would be no drought if the people would be obedient and not chase after other gods. Did you know that? There wouldn't be a drought. They would be, everything they needed would be found if they would just be obedient to God in that covenant. Everything. They weren't supposed to leave or find anything else. They could find everything they needed right there. Everything. Isn't it interesting that though when Israel began to find drought and they began to find problems in the Old Testament that they didn't turn to God and repent and say, oh God, we've wronged you. They sit there and they turned to other gods, didn't they? Turned to other gods and they're going, well, well, Yahweh's not providing for us and we've got to have food so let's turn to Baal. Well, you totally forgot what God said. He has forgotten in this parable what God said. He goes to a far country, takes everything he's got, squanders it. And then after that, and when he has spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He's wronged his father. He's not listened to what's going on. He's not stayed within Israel. He makes it all about him. He does all these things for himself. Then after he spends it all, he wasn't planning on it, but now there's a famine. And now he's stuck. He's got no way to get back. He is at desperate straits. So he decides he's got to get a job. So he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. We've almost hit rock bottom. He went to go feed pigs. What do we know about that in the Jewish culture? Unclean. Thank God we're Gentiles, right? I like me some bacon. But if we were Jewish, like that's the worst of the worst of the worst, unclean. It's almost as if he's hit rock bottom. And then it says this, 
And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Desperate in the worst possible time, feeding pigs as a Jew, unclean, everything about it. And here he's so hungry, he looks at the... Anybody been around with pigs being slopped? Anybody grew up with that? Anybody had that? Man, I tell you what, every time I drive by Campbellsville and everything, because I was down there, I, I lived in Campbellsville for a while, and it's like, you go past that, the, 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 uh, um, the cow farm that's right there. You know what I'm talking about, that cow farm? It's like right there on 210. You go down there, and it's like when we go past it, I'm like going, hmm, that's a good smell right there. All right? But I tell you what, for me, that's nothing compared to pigs, because I feel like they stink even worse on everything that way. And I thank God for farmers that do that. I thank God for those men and women, those families that have done that for us. I thank God for all that. And so here it is in that moment. But I drive by and I think about that. And so here's this man in the middle of all that stench and everything else, touching and being, and then he's so hungry that he's like, I want to eat what they're eating. And and, and here's the kicker. I not only want to eat what they're eating, but everybody else that's working with him goes... We don't care about whether you're hungry or not. Just do your job. We don't care if you're hungry or not. Just do your job. We don't care what happens to you. Do your job. Nobody cares about him. Nobody cares about him. Nobody cares what he's going through. Nobody cares about anything in this moment. He is at the worst and the lowest of the part where he could be. But when he came to himself, and all of a sudden he has this, the way Jesus is telling the parable, that he comes to this awakening. He comes to this understanding. He comes to his senses. He wakes up. How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. He goes back and he starts to think about his father. Nobody cares about him while he's there. Nobody, in this parable, Jesus has set it up. Nobody cares that he's starving. He's in a far country. Nobody could care less about what he's doing. Nobody could care less about his suffering. But then he goes back to his father and he said, The servant's there. Oh, my father. The servant's there. My father feeds the servants. Can't imagine in a moment that the servants are not fed. We start to get an insight as Jesus is sharing this story that starts to talk about his father and the insight of his father. It's different from the people of the far land. His father is one that looks at the servants and says this, his servants are taken care of. Not sons, servants. The ones that are on the lowest are taken care of. And he says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he thinks about this church. How many of you all, when you have blown it, you know you have blown it and you just live with the shame? Anybody done that? And here in that moment as we deal with shame, sometimes we rehearse what we're going to say to somebody. Have you ever had those conversations? I have remembered many times of the conversations that I have rehearsed trying to prepare about what to say to try to face loved ones. I think there's a couple that I have rehearsed to Michael Sullivan that were probably trying to manipulate my way out of something in that moment because I knew he was going to be hard on me and he needed to be. I'm thankful for, uh, I'm thankful for my stepdad. 
just that I speak in this moment, in all honesty. That's a man that stepped in with a 13-year-old that didn't know what was going on in life. And he taught me how to respect and love my mother. And without him, I would not have done that. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's that moment, he's not dead, he's right there and everything. <laughs> but I think about the legacy from his family because he tells me about how much and what he grew up with with his parents and what he grew up with in his neighborhood. I'm thankful that was passed down to me. In rehearsing this story here that this man that Jesus tells this parable, he is rehearsing this about what he's supposed to say. He comes up with a whole speech because he knows right now he's not got a leg to stand on. And so he begins to rehearse, what am I going to say? How am I going to say this? He's come to his senses. He knows he's messed up, but he begins to say this again, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Like he knows he's failed. He knows he's blown it. He knows that there is no mercy that should be shown to him. And he has an accurate view to an extent that he does not deserve mercy. So he begins to rehearse his speech. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose. He came to his senses. He realized he didn't need to stay there. He knew that the servants or the people that he was a servant under, they could care less about him. But he knew his father cared for the servants. And so he said, I'm going to go back. He's probably disappointed. He's probably going to look down on me. But at least I know that Maybe if he takes me back as a servant that I'll be taken care of in this moment. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And now, now we get an idea of the father. Like we've gotten a little bit of hint in the parable as Jesus is telling it from the son's point of view. But now we see the father. And, and what's interesting here about the father running? I'll ask the question... I'm not going to tell anything, you probably don't know, but, but who wants to, get, let's get some feedback. Why is this so, this is like shocking to be honest. This is shocking. Why is it shocking that the father is running? You're going to say it, you got to be loud. Right, right, because watch this. First of all, I just want you to know it's hard to run in a robe. Ladies, is it hard to run in a dress? So men, I mean, it's, it's not really dignified. It's a little bit difficult, but it is not dignified. But the father in that patriarchal society in that moment, you came to the father to show honor. You came to him. But Jesus shows us something that is unbelievable. Here we have a father that was asked to give of his wealth before the appropriate time. And he gave it willingly. Then he watched his son go away. And when his son starts showing up at the end of the drive, the father cinches up the robe and he runs to the son. He runs to the son. 
He doesn't care what his servants think. He doesn't care what anybody else. He has a love for his son. Church, I want you to think about this for a moment. I want you to think for a moment. How much love do you have for people that have wronged you? How much love do you have for people that have wronged you? Here we find something beautiful. The father running to the son, and as he runs to the son, and he embraces him. Listen to what he says. He starts it in, well, let's see, 20. Let's go to 20. And he arose and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, here we go with the speech. We've already rehearsed it. Now we're making sure we execute it and do it the right way. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. He tells him the whole story again. Here's the whole speech. He knows he's messed up. He's not trying to wiggle his way in. He's not trying to manipulate something. He realizes and came to his senses, he's blown it. This is why Jesus is telling the story. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it for let us eat and celebrate. For this is my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. I want you to think. Here the son in this moment is saying, I am unworthy. I am unworthy. I'm no longer called to be a son. Just let me be a slave. Just let me come back. I've blown it. I've I've wronged you. I've done everything else. There's no reason for you to ever show any mercy or compassion. I don't deserve it. And notice that the father doesn't even pay attention he doesn't even go through the list and sit there and Jesus telling this parable he doesn't sit there and say well first of all you're my son so it's going to be okay I just want you like he just ignores the whole thing why why does he why does God do this church because I'm going to tell you right now you and I would look at things like this of possessions and we would watch somebody squander it And we would be angry and mad and we would do things in this moment because that's sometimes what we value. That is not what God values. God values people created in his image. He values people. Church, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think I value people like Jesus. In fact, I know that I don't. I'm too worried about being wronged at times. I'm too concerned about how somebody has slighted or offended me. There are things in this moment where I have dealt and and worked hard for some people. And then somebody's just like going, me, 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 me. After you've done everything you can, and I'll be honest, there have been moments that I've sat there and said, (laughs) good luck the next time. And then I encounter the Holy Spirit. I encounter God, and I realize right now that God loves people. 
Church, when we catch this moment of loving God and loving others like we talked about, I'm going to tell you what God values within the church. God values when people repent. He does not hold things against them for the rest of their lives when people repent. You and I do. God does not. But I will also say this, just on a flip side, because I think this is where we get it messed up. But sometimes we get love messed up, and we don't want to lovingly call anybody on anything, because we think that that's judgmental. But I'm going to share with you, if we love, if we love people, then we won't stand up on a pedestal and look down on people to call them out, we will come down on the same plane as them and say this, I know this is something you're struggling with. This is probably something I'm struggling with. Let's repent and go to Jesus together. But there are many times that we just allow sin to be in the church. And I'm going to share with you right now, just in love, God's heart is that he loves, but God's also holy. If people don't want to repent, there's nothing that God can do. Because people are making a decision in that moment to be in rebellion. They're making a decision in that moment that they're going to do what they want to do. And lovingly, there are moments that as a church, we need to value what Jesus values. We need to always love people. But there are boundaries that Jesus has set. And if we compromise that love and we tell people, well, God loves you and you just continue on. Jesus did not die so that we stay in our sins. Jesus died so that we would die to self and repent and become and look more like him. This is what the prodigal does in this moment. This is why Jesus, in telling this story, is very evident in what he's saying. He came to his senses. If he didn't come to his senses and he decided to come home in this moment, I don't know exactly what the parable would look like because it doesn't say and the Bible doesn't say. But here's what I will tell you. Church, we need to be very careful in trying to make God in our image instead of letting him tell us who he is. Dropping my water. When the son came to his senses, and this is what is so beautiful, when the son came to his senses... The father didn't listen to any of the, anything that he had said. He said, you're my son. You have repented. You're not going to be a servant. You've never been a servant. You are my child. Think about that. How many of you in here can say that you have blown it? How many of you in here can say that there are people that remind you every now and then that you blew it? So I ask you the question. One, I'll ask you this. Have you truly repented? Have you truly confessed that if you've blown it, that you've truly repented before God and confessed your sin? Or are you just saying, well, just, I'm just who I am. See, if you don't come to your senses and everything, you need to be aware in that moment. God loves you, but he's not here to allow you to just be okay with you staying the same. He died so that you would be transformed into his image. He paid a great price for you so that you would be his for eternity. But when you are his, this is what I love. 
You are His, and He never, ever brings up what you've done. Amen? Think about this. Just real quick, think about this. Paul, Saul, was a murderer, right? I mean, he was a Pharisee, but he was a murderer. He killed Christians. As he was going on his way, the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. He heard a voice, knew it was Jesus, went blind. And you remember in that moment, he's sitting there fasting, not doing anything, sitting there and just kind of praying. And then all of a sudden, God speaks to, is it Ananias? God speaks to Ananias and says, I want you to go to Paul who's on Straight Street. What did Ananias say? Absolutely, Lord, let's go. What did he say? Isn't that the guy that kills people? Like you're telling the all-knowing God something he don't know, right? Listen, listen, he's got a rep. I don't know if you know this or not, but he kills Christians. And God very evidently set him in his place. And he goes, he's for my purposes of, what's gonna do, of what I'm going to do. He's mine. But you know what? Right after that, Paul goes through a lot of different things of, of, of wilderness and understanding. But he doesn't really meet with all the church. In fact, to be honest, most of the church won't meet with him. He gets to meet with Peter, James, and John. But I'm not so sure, and the Bible doesn't say, so we got to be really careful not to add things to it, but I'm not so sure that there were still people that didn't think he was a murderer and this was just an act. What do you think? Because the church never labels people, right? But Paul didn't get his identity from what he had done and what other people thought about him. He got his identity from who Jesus said that he was. He got his identity, not from what he had done in his past, because he had repented of it, and he had chased Jesus Christ. Jesus had a hold of his life. He didn't listen to what the people had said. You blew it, you blew it, you blew it. He knew that because he had repented and he had been forgiven, but he did listen to what Jesus said, and Jesus said, you're my child. You are a saint, not by what you've done, but by what I have done. And Jesus doesn't listen anymore in that moment to what other people are saying. He asks us to listen to what he says. In this moment, we have this where the father looks at the son after this speech, where the, the son has already said, I've blown it, I've messed up, I don't deserve any of this. But the grace and rich mercy of God looks at him and says, bring the ring, bring the fatted calf, he's my son, let's celebrate. One, I'll ask the question, we'll talk about this a little bit later in the week. What's your, what's your identity based in? What you've done or what Christ has done? What's your identity based in? Are you making excuses for your sin and claiming Jesus Christ? I'm going to tell you, if you, are, if you are in the midst of your sin and claiming Jesus Christ and you're, not gonna, and you're going to try to hold both together, I'm going to tell you, there's nowhere in the Bible that, that, that that's not the Christianity that this Bible talks about. You don't get to sit there and make excuses for stay in your sin and also claim the blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ. You either claim Jesus and repent or you're going to do it your way. But you don't get to claim him if you're going to do it your way. You've got to repent. You've got to confess. As this happens, and I'm going to move on as we do this really quick. He was dead and now he's alive. But now, now his older son was in the field. And as he came, he drew near to the house and he heard music and dancing. They were not Baptist, right? So, 
And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was also joyous that his brother returned. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Listen to what the brother says. Here's the older brother. I've been here the entire time. He goes off. He makes a mistake. He blows it. He does all this. You're having a party. I've never got to even have one calf for me. Now, here's the scary thing. The scary thing is this. The father would have given him a calf to celebrate if he'd asked for it. I think there's too many times that we get caught up in duty instead of celebrating God. Church, I will say this in all honesty. I think there are some times that we get caught up in duty in the church instead of worship and celebrating how good God is. I think we miss the fact of worship when we worship in this moment that worship is not about some kind of emotional thing. It's about our entire being crying out that he is worthy of praise. He is worthy. There is none other that is like him. There is no other God like him. And so when I sing, I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to sing. Why am I going to sing? Because I'm not singing for you. I'm singing for him. And so if you hear a bellow or I get a messed up note, we started singing one of the songs. I'm sitting there with Judy. And all of a sudden I'm like going, she knew I missed that note really bad. You know it? She's been gracious enough to be with me all the time. She's like going, and, you know, but I missed it really bad. I don't care. I'm called to make a joyful noise. What God wants is my heart and my mind right for him. If you're worried about being on tune, you've missed the whole point of what he wants. He wants your heart, not you being on key. But I will tell you, church, I feel like there are times that we have all the riches of celebration and yet we get upset because we see the lost out here at times that repent. And sometimes we're mad. I've been thankful to watch this church at times welcome in people that in society that other people would have looked at and said, Ugh. I've watched Tunnel Hill welcome in people for the love and the honor of the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful. But I've also been around enough that I've been around churches and I've watched it happen. Somebody walks through the door, they're a brand new believer. But they got a checkered past. And then somebody makes the decision to sit there and say this. Well, you got holes in your jeans. That's a little bit dirty. You're not quite right. I laughed at one point in time, the pastor that I served under gave an illustration and it kind of made me open my eyes. The church where I first started at and everything as a student pastor, there was a lot of people's lives changing. A lot of them been in drug addiction. A lot of them been in other areas of their life, but Jesus had changed their life. And one day in the midst of that church, they were all coming in. A lady walked up to the pastor, this was back in the 90s, and walked up to the pastor and said this, and said, Pastor, I need to talk to you. And he goes, okay, what is it? And he goes, you see over there at the pavilion? And he goes, yes, ma'am. And he goes, you see all them people smoking over there? They're all smoking over there. 
That doesn't bring any glory to God. And he asked a question. He goes, what are their names? What are their names? And she goes, what do you mean? He said, I'm just asking you, do, do, what are their names? Do you know them? Do you have a relationship with them? They're over there smoking. And he said, if you'd know their names and you knew their story, you'd know three months ago they were smoking something different. Where they're at now is a whole lot different than where they were three months ago. I think maybe there's some grace to be had. I think sometimes you and I get so quick to get on our soapbox to be able to look at people that we forget that holiness, we're making progress towards Christ. None of us have reached it yet, right? I don't make excuses to stay where I'm at, but I also know that we're seeking after holiness. Here, in this story, the older brother is full of righteous indignation that's false. His dad has given him a heritage to be able to recognize and he's never ever accepted that his dad would have given him a fatted calf. He's only been a son that's a servant. Listen to what it says. Verse 30, But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. Look at all the ways that he's wronged you. I've not done that. Look at all the ways he's messed up. Look at all the ways he's done this. And you're just going to let him back in. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that, I, that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Church, you and I, if we have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, have been given a legacy of God's word. Jesus is the word, this written word, the church, but also of mercy and grace and forgiveness. A legacy that has been given to us to not squander, to not forget that we've been forgiven, to not cry out in the moment of, if we're begging for mercy, why would we not want it for someone else? A legacy that's supposed to be passed on over and over and over again. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that God forgives you? I don't care where you've been because my God can clean you up from wherever you've been and make you his child. There is a legacy that we have been given, church, that we get to give the good news to anybody and everybody. But if that legacy is just about coming in this building, sitting down in a pew every Sunday, every Sunday night, every Wednesday, Bible study, giving tithe, And going through the outside things of church instead of the heart of sharing with people. We're taking the legacy that Christ has given us and we are squandering it. Jesus is meant to be proclaimed throughout this city. He is meant to be proclaimed throughout this state. He is meant to be proclaimed throughout this world. And we have been given this beautiful legacy to not just hold on to it, but to actually put it out there. I ask you the question, not just about the revival, but about your life. What will you do with this legacy? 
Will you keep it to yourself? Or will you go out and share it, give it to those to glorify God with this legacy passed on? Today, three things as we wrap up. One, if you are the brother, the younger brother, and you have blown it, right now maybe nobody else knows, but you know. And so you have been in the midst of sin, and you keep telling yourself, there's no way that God could forgive me, there's no way that God could love me, there's no way that God could ever clean this up. I'm just always going to be a secondary person. If you have truly confessed your sin and repented, why don't you start listening to what Jesus says about you instead of how you feel or listening to the world? Will you start to walk up the drive and allow God to run to you and embrace you? Because that's who he is. Two, if you are the older brother, and right now you just have a tendency to just kind of be mad at the world, Like, just mad at the world. By the way, just as an example, if you watch the news and you see the other aisle and you're calling them idiots, you do know that that... Per- like, you understand what I'm saying, right? You understand what I'm saying? The political side, I don't care which side you're on, you're on the political side, you look at them and you watch the news and you say, those idiots, they're all stupid, they're all dumb, they're all this, they're all that. You, You do know they're created in the image of God, right? You have just called them a fool and God loves them. He may disagree with the different things that they're doing, but he loves them. You don't call people fools. You can say their acts are foolish. You can say that they need to be changed. But Jesus can change anybody. When's the last time you prayed for instead of complained about them? Guess what? You're the older brother. You spend more time in Fox News than you do the good news. You got a problem. You spend more time on MSNBC than you do on your knees and praying for people. You got a problem. I'm going to tell you right now. Nobody gives hope but Jesus. So maybe you're the older brother. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to go back and say this. You know what? I believe that God wants to change people and I need to be praying for them. Or three, maybe it's this. God, help me to embrace my Father who has given me this love and this grace and help me to give that to other people. Help me to start. Who are you going to tell tonight if you have the opportunity? Who are you going to tell tomorrow? I'm going to even ask you a question. I'm going to challenge you right now. Who are you going to tell this week and get an opportunity to tell and show the grace and love of Jesus Christ? Because if you don't have a game plan, let me share with you. We'll go through another year and you'll find out you haven't done it. Why? Because if you don't make a point to do it and pray about it and put it there, it'll only be an idea. It'll never be a faith action. What is it that God's calling you to do tonight? Younger brother, older brother, or to be like the father. And if you don't know Jesus Christ at all, the fourth one, if you don't know Jesus, tonight is the night that you would come and say, I need Jesus to forgive me of my sins because he will do it and make you his own. But you've got to make the choice because it won't happen 
unless you receive Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this evening, Lord, we thank you for how good you are. Lord, we thank you for your word. But Lord, we also thank you in this moment for your very presence. Lord, thank you that you want to be a personal God. You're not just some power. You're not just some entity. You're not a bunch of moral principles. You are a personal God that wants to be in relationship with us, that we would repent and confess and to know Jesus crucified and resurrected is the only way to pay for our sins. Lord, I pray that you would continue as you have worked within Tunnel Hill all these years to proclaim the gospel. Lord, that you would revive the church. Not because it's dead, but Lord God, because it comes more and more on fire. Lord, thank you for the mission work that goes on here. Thank you for the way that people love each other here, Lord. Thank you for the ways that ministry happens here. Lord, thank you for the testimonies that I hear of different people where they have talked about Tunnel Hill. Lord, thank you for what you continue to do, but Lord God, I pray that it would be revival more and more on fire for you, individually and as a body. Lord, if there's someone here tonight that believes that they are worthless, I pray tonight, Lord, that if they would come to you and listen to what you say and not what they feel and not what others say. Lord, they would truly receive as they repent and confess the truth that you love them deeply. Break attitudes, open hearts. Lord, do what you need to do to glorify yourself. May none of us walk out of here without being obedient to what you're calling us to do. And it's in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. We are coming to a time of invitation. We want to give everybody the opportunity to respond however God has spoke to them. You have heard the invitation as it was given from Sean. I'm going to ask right now that our deacons and those that are going to be kind of our people up here, that they would go ahead and come up. And we're just going to have people up here at the front of the stage that are going to just be here to talk with you. And so if you want them to pray with you, we would invite you to come up and pray with them. If, it's, if today is the day that God has called